0: It's Wednesday, so you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. Hey, you can listen to me any day of the week. You can listen online at wrtfm.org, at the A Public Affair podcast, or on the WORT smartphone app. If you like what you hear, click the donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference.
1: Six foot six above sea level, I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency, radio modulation, the big sound from underground. We bring the truth to
0: places truth to- Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Public Affair. It's Wednesday, so that means you've got me. I'm your host today, Carousel Baird. And it's so great to be back. I was gone for a few weeks. Thanks for everyone here at the Great Wart team for covering for me. And it's great to be here today. It's Wednesday, February seventh. We have a fabulous show lined up. We've been wanting to talk about this issue for a couple of weeks, and so glad to have uh, it all come together. We're going to talk a little bit about electric vehicles today. Um and a lot about the electric vehicle infrastructure we're not here to hard pedal about why you should have an electric vehicle although we might talk about that a little bit but really if you get an electric vehicle where are the chargers across the state and the other infrastructures across the state and the country to help support you being able to take that car wherever you want to go um here to join us today to talk about electric vehicle policy, infrastructure, funding. There's some great things happening at the federal level. Are we accessing all of it here in Wisconsin? Mm, Maybe we're about to. Might happen. We're going to get the updates on all of that and more. We have two great guests joining us today. First, we have Emma Hines. She is the policy manager for Electrification Coalition. They're a national organization, and she is based here in Madison, Wisconsin. Hello, Emma. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Good afternoon. Thanks so much for having me on. It's great to have you, and I want to
0: tell everyone just a a couple, a little blurbs uh, about what the that's a hard word to say. The electrification <laughs> coalition is it's a nonpartisan nonprofit organization that advances policies and actions to facilitate widespread use and adoption of electric vehicles in order to reduce the economic, public health and national security risks caused by America's dependence on oil. So that that's quite a lot of uh, uh, of action to, to accomplish really broad goals. That's fantastic. Um we also have Tom Content joining us. He's the executive director of the Citizen Utility Board of Wisconsin. Hello, Tom.
2: Hi, it's great, great to be back on the show.
0: It's wonderful to have you. Thank you for all your contributions. I hear you all the time on WRIT, so it's so great to have you here and, and beyond. Um, and I want to tell everyone a little bit about the Citizen Utility Board of Wisconsin. I did not know that you were the first citizen utility board in the country. So these exist throughout throughout the country, state by state. We are we are the Wisconsin Citizen Utility Board. It's an independent advocacy group for utility customers, advocating for consumers and policy and governmental actions. And the Citizen Utility Board um, in Wisconsin was the first in the nation. Began in 1980 after being created by the state legislature. I wonder if the state legislature now, not just the current one, but in the last few years would be an entity that would would create um that but boy am i so glad that you exist and yeah. that you've been around all these years it's great
2: it's great to be here and and in fact the legislature kind of reaffirmed our role in oh. recent years uh in, in a unanimous uh, vote a couple years ago that actually set us in statute as the the, st- the official stat uh Customer advocate for all residential and small business customers of the Wisconsin utilities. So, so we're here. We're here to stay. Uh, it's been forty-five years, and we're working for another forty-five.
0: That's fantastic. I did not know that. That's a great. That's a great way to kick off this conversation. To know that the appreciation for your advocacy, you know, passes. Um, Through our, you know, our purple state um, with policy advocates on both sides of the political aisle are unanimously deciding that the work that you do is work that we want to have done in Wisconsin. That that's that's great. Um, Okay, well, so let's sort of kick the show off. I want to talk about what's happening right now, right now in Wisconsin. How do we compare to other states when it has to do with infrastructure? Uh, for charging stations. And is there other infrastructure we should be thinking about? When I think of infrastructure, I think of charging stations. Maybe there's something else. Um, Emma, do you want to sort of kick us off with sort of the big picture? Where does Wisconsin fit in the national conversation?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, Infrastructure, you hit the nail on the head, it's charging stations. That's what people need to get where they're going um, and to feel confident that they can take their EV across the state and across the country. Um, a lot of it right now, we're kind of we're dead in the middle. You know? <laughs> we're definitely not California, but there are also a lot of states that have invested less in charging. Um, so we have room to grow for sure, but it's not terrible. Um, we, you know, see a lot of concentrations for charging in cities. That is where most people, so far um, that have EVs have been living. I think it's about a quarter of all EVs in Wisconsin are in Dane County. Um, And part of that is because there's more infrastructure, people see it in their communities. And so they feel a lot more confident uh, in being able to have an EV. So it's definitely something that we can look to in the next, you know, five years or so is spreading out that charging, not just increasing numbers across this or in the state, but increasing where they are in the state we want to make sure that rural drivers especially can you know reap these benefits because if they're driving longer distances they get more savings from having an ev they're using less gas overall so well and i think
0: that's a really interesting point so we were talking before the show my family owns i don't know one and a half i guess two electric vehicles one in a hundred percent electric vehicle and another with an electric vehicle uh with a small um sort of medium-sized gas tank and we plug them in every night in our house here in in our garage we're very fortunate to we own a home um, well the bank owns it but we own it with them right um have a house and um we plug in our cars we have a garage we plug in our cars every night and it's not an issue for us to drive in the city it's god when we want to go to door county when we want to go to spring green to see a play when i want to go hiking up in the dells it's all of a sudden of oh well which car are we going to take the car with the gas tank because we have that as a backup or the complete electric vehicle which has a much better range and could be successful but what if we need to detour a little bit so Tell me about the conversation of making that infrastructure. It's so heavy in the cities, but that's almost
1: not where we need it. Exactly. Um, I, you know, Madison is not a very large community land wise. And so I joke about having to drive to the opposite side of town and how long it's going to take. And it's 20 minutes to the airport. And so right. I'm not the person that needs massive public charging infrastructure because it's not that far to get where I need to go. My commute is not far at all. You know, to get to the grocery store isn't far. But when you get to northern Wisconsin, if you're going to be commuting a really long ways or going to the Dells, going to visit family, things like that, that's when you're going to need more redundant public charging to kind of make sure people feel comfortable in that they'll be able to get where they need to go. It's possible to get a lot of destinations up north right now. It probably is not convenient. Um, You might have to take a detour or stop in a location that's not along your way, stop for a long time um, to finish up charging, but it is possible. Uh, But really, we want to make it as easy to get up north or get up to the Dells as it is with a gas car. We want it to feel completely natural to say, oh, it's gonna cost so much less money to take the EV because fueling costs are lower, the electricity cost is so much lower. Let's just take that. That's a no-brainer. And instead of having to do kind of the mental calculus of saying, well, we might find charging, we might not, I'll just spend the money on the gas and we'll take, you know, the ice car, the internal right. combustion engine. Which seems to be where people
0: are right now. So Tom add to the conversation here what is sort of the feel especially outside of the cities in Madison about access to um electric vehicle charging stations and does this sort of have a chilling impact on people outside cities wanting to even consider or purchase an electric vehicle
2: Oh, I think it really does. I mean, just looking at my own experience, you know, we had to buy a new vehicle, and I'm living in the Milwaukee area and commuting to Madison. Not every day, but still, is is that it? Was that something I, I thought the infrastructure was ready for? And I made the call not yet, um, but and that's what other people are still making that call. But yeah. I'll give you an example that we brought actually brought into one of our actual cases involving the utilities last year. Corey Singletary, who's our analyst and regulatory director, bought an F-150 Lightning. And he ended up testifying in a case about this because of his family's experience trying to get from Madison to Minneapolis. And, you know, the, the challenge of, of charging at the, uh, at the Electrify America charging station, two out of the four chargers were inoperable. There was Mm -hmm. a half hour, half hour wait on the others. They were delivering less power than it was expected. And the uh, and they had a similar experience coming back home, and so, and the reason we were testifying in that case is because Excel Energy for what Western Wisconsin was act, is actually proposing to and got approved to build a couple charging uh, public charging stations. Um, as so, it seems counterintuitive. Wait, we're going to have our monopoly utility do this, um, and long term, that that's still going to be a question. But for now, given the challenge of range range anxiety. Um, We think there is a a role that utilities themselves can play to help um, make sure that there are more stations out there.
0: Tom, you said you said a term range anxiety that I have been learning and reading about. Of course, it's, it's something I sort of know, but remind explain to us what range anxiety is.
2: Yeah, that's that's the the anxiety that you get when of of when it, how far can I get before I need to ref, ref refuel, um, and with a, when there's a gas station at every corner we don't you know drivers of a hybrids or uh, ICE cars never have that, but um, the the auto industry is moving to expand the number of miles you can get per charge for every time you charge, but that's the limit. It's that that's the limit of the range. Is is you can go only two hundred and fifty or three hundred or wherever, however many miles uh, it is, on a full charge. And so it's the anxiety you get if, from full charge to zero charge.
0: And are we seeing um, sort of range anxiety not just impact people with electric vehicles from deciding not to take their electric vehicle out, but also. I would think more severely impacting people deciding not to buy an electric vehicle at all. Like you yourself talked about.
2: Exactly. And you're seeing some, some of the in recent announcements, some of the EV manufacturers kind of had bullish production forecasts and they've had some of them had had temp, temp temper those, uh, their production schedules. Uh, you know, it's this, it's this uh, we've been in this chicken and egg for a long time mm-hmm. on, you know, you know, Build, build the vehicles and they will come, but or build the charging stations first and so both actually have to ha- keep happening. Um, more more charging stations and more EVs.
0: Yeah, I can just uh, think about how you would have when we're driving, if you would pass charging stations on a regular basis, just like you pass gas stations, that you would not have a doubt in your mind that, oh, oh well, there's charging stations on my route. Or near where I route, or near the the market, or where my family goes. It's sort of we need to make it part of the everyday activity. Um, Tom, I wanted to touch on one specific thing you said before we take a deeper dive into what's happening in Wisconsin on the legislature, which is you talked about how sometimes there is infrastructure, but it's not reliable. Uh, Emma and Tom, can you both sort of comment on that about are there challenges with what exists now and is there efforts to address that and is it because there isn't enough funding that we sort of have some things that are not as reliable or what's what's the deal with all that?
1: Yeah, I can take a stab at this first and then pass to Tom. Um, I think there's not one simple answer, unfortunately, for reliability issues. Sometimes it could be, you know, grid capacity or if, you know, something manual breaks in a charger, if someone rear ends it with an F-150, that's going to take a charger down. Also, much more often we see software issues um, if they're connected via cellular network um, or something like that. And if you're in a remote location, especially if software goes down, that can be harder to fix, Um, And so that affects reliability. Funding is a part of it, um, but also, you know, I think a lot of companies have had motivations to have a very broad uh, charging network. You know, they want to say we have 10,000 stations across XYZ number of states, things like that, um, instead of focusing on reliability. And so, one of the things that we'll get into very soon with the National EV Infrastructure Program is that um, there's a reliability standard included in that. So chargers have to be online 97% of the time, um, which if you do the math of what 97% of a year is, there's only about 10 days of downtime total. So if you're looking at chunks of time where a charging station goes down for eight hours, that's not a lot of time. So it really does put pressure on private businesses who are installing these chargers to keep them online and to invest in the workforce who can get out there in an hour when a charging station is reported to be down.
2: Right, and and the VW settlement, the the pollution uh, settlement with VW and emission settlement, helped enable some of that. This this broad electrify America network, um, but um, but and I'm not as knowledgeable as this on Emma, but I'm guessing there just weren't those reliability standards attached to that, um, and so because that's where we are seeing seeing challenges. Um,
0: what's what's the emissions settlement with
2: Volkswagen? That was that was when Volkswagen um, got caught. Uh, essentially ah. um faking the having claiming to have certain really good mpg when they on on their fleets when they didn't when they didn't um, I
0: remember that in and, the news and
2: they they got uh in trouble in Europe and here for that with uh, uh massive court settlements or gotcha government investigations and settlements and the, and the, the but this EV uh, electrify America network is one of the byproducts of that of one of those settlements I believe
0: i didn't realize that good to get sort of the big picture in the history about it um well i think this is a good transition then to what is the national electric vehicle infrastructure plan um that is passing from the federal government um emma
1: do you want to sort of take a start with that happy to yeah. yeah So the National EV Infrastructure Program, we fondly call NEVI because we live in a world of federal acronyms. So the NEVI program came out of the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law in 2021. And the goal of it is to really create kind of a skeletal network throughout the country and throughout Wisconsin. Um, to make sure that people can get long distances. We know that about 80% of charging gets done at home. And I often you know, use the example, if you woke up every morning with a full tank of gas, how often would you stop at a gas station? Probably not super often. Um, but because we're Americans and we are travelers, we're always wanting to go to California or to Florida. And so people wanna make sure, like we were talking about, that you can get where you need to go and not just your everyday routes. So this is creating what we call EV fast charging corridors across the U.S. along most of our major highways, where you'll have uh, DC fast chargers, which are the fastest standard of charging that we have available today, every 50 miles along the route and within a mile of the highway. So taking out some of the uncertainty of, am I going to be able to find charging when I'm driving through Iowa or other rural areas where you might not be, um, where businesses might not be investing as much into charging, it kind of de-risks an initial investment for a business. So in Wisconsin, the Department of Transportation is administering this program. The federal government matches eighty percent of this cost. So, a company like EVGo or Electrify America could submit an application, pay only twenty percent of the cost of this charging station, and then, um, you know, be a part of this national network.
0: And um, you talked about the fact, right? Americans like to travel. That is sort of part of what we do, um, but it's not just even traveling to California and Florida, um, where it's great as well. But every summer, my family likes to go to Door County, right? It's things within the state. I have friends in Chicago. I have friends in Minneapolis. So it's even not not sort of like this. It doesn't have to be the broad national, broad uh, national, you know, road trip. It can really just be. This is what people do on three-day weekends all the time. Um, Exactly. Tom, can you chime in a little bit more on that about the role that NEVI, the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure uh, Law, can can have the impact that it can have in Wisconsin?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, if you think about every 50 miles having chargers available that's just not a standard that or an ex, that's not in anybody's lived experience right. um, in much of rural America um and and so as the customer group for residents from from the cities to the to the far farthest reaches i think this is this is important that 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 there's there's something that enables that for everything and people wonder well why if you're get involved in in if you're a if you're involved in utility issues why are you involved in evs um, but if you think about your utility bill today and your utility bill in the future they're good it's two different animals because your utility bill today is paying for your to heat your house and to power your devices and it, it's life sustaining um but and then you're spending a different part of part of your transportation dollar when you're filling up but in the future as we as we move toward electrification um, then everything comes under that home. A lot of it will come through the home energy bill. Yeah. Um, and But overall, because electricity by a large is cheaper than gasoline, um, in terms of when you fill up at a, at, the, at a charging station, it's cheaper than buying a gallon of gas um, for the equivalent amount of electricity, I guess. Um, the total transportation bill for consumers would come down um Obviously, you have to make the upfront purchase of the vehicle, um, and right now there's a higher price point for that. But as the auto in- industry ramps that up, um, then that price point is going to get better and better for for EVs as well. So that's just some I mean, some of the benefits we see.
0: So here's this great federal infrastructure plan that passed, you know, Congress with had to have bipartisan support, or you don't pass Congress these days, um, and Wisconsin. Is not quite able to capture that funding. Is that accurate, Tom? Can you sort of give us a better understanding of what what happened, to, what's happening in Wisconsin, and why are we not taking our share of the funding?
2: Right. So this is this gets at the heart of issue of where we don't want to see us jeopardize uh, these federal dollars that that could be coming into the state. Um, and so um, the federal Navy rules require that you um that charging stations charge by the kilowatt hour so based on how much energy you use uh or how much energy uh is is put into the vehicle and right now charging stations in wisconsin by and large have been charging um just by how much time you're spending at the station um and that does that is an old system and it's an out-of-date system uh, especially as you get different kinds of EVs um, that that some of which require a lot of energy, like a F-150 Lightning, some of which require um, not so much, like a small Chevy Bolt. Um, so, um, and the challenge is that under Wisconsin law, anybody, if you have, if you charge by the kilowatt hour, you have to be a utility. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the legislature uh, needs to correct this. And, and that's why there's a bill that's uh, moving through the process um but for those transportation buffs out there if this bill doesn't get to the finish line then we could be jeopardizing you know more than 78 million dollars of federal funding um and after losing you know the high speed train bet- between Madison and Milwaukee not you know a, a dozen or so years ago um this 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 uh, might that might this is something we definitely want to avoid this time around yeah yeah missing I'm, out on that
0: Emma chime in on this as well it, to help us understand really that that role that Tom was talking about, about if a private entity uh, is is running the charging station in Wisconsin. You have to be a utility to do that. Is is this a law or a policy that um, your organization has seen in effect in any other states and 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 how unusual is this that Wisconsin has a law like this?
1: Yes. I think historically it was much more common because, you know, who was in the business of selling massive amounts of electricity except for utilities? They kept that at a much closer hold um, to make sure folks weren't also selling electricity. So it does make sense. EV charging is kind of a new venture in that folks are going to be distributing large amounts of power. Um, We've seen this in several other states, uh, kind of when the bipartisan infrastructure law was announced and when the NEVI program was announced, there was kind of a you know, a reckoning of, okay, we need to fix this in these states in order to make sure we can get this money. Um, And right now we're down to two. (laughs) It is us in Nebraska who are the only ones who haven't rectified this issue. So there is a federal deadline at the end of the month of when we would need to pass this legislation. Um, So the pressure is on to make sure that, you know, this, we've seen really great progress on the legislation and we're kind of just down to the last step, it just needs to get voted on in the Assembly. It passed last month, or sorry, a few weeks ago in the Senate, and we saw that vote be 30 to 3, um, which is really incredible bipartisan collaboration. And I think looking beyond kind of the politicization of EVs um, or what people themselves want to drive, I think people can recognize that we don't need to be missing out on $78 million of federal funding for this.
0: Well, and Tom, talk to us about what was the response from the utility uh, industry in Wisconsin on on this bill and the idea that private entities could be selling electricity?
2: I think that they have a they had a measured response at first, and but I think overall they see more electricity being sold through EVs as going to be you know a benefit uh, for for the utilities, but they. They're they're leery. They were leery of of this change in some respects because of some other disputes that have gone on involving utilities and the renewable energy industry, where the same issue is kind of where um, through a thing, basically Wisconsin law is murky uh, (laughs) on how whether whether rooftop solar whether whether somebody who has a rooftop solar project can actually sell can be, whether somebody can lease their panels from a solar company, and right now, gotcha. um, and so there's legislation, there has been legislation in the past that they would do that, and the utilities are saying, no, that can only be public utilities, and then there's a coalition of others saying not, and so the utilities have, op- are opening up the door for EVs, at the same time, they kind of haven't opened up the same door um, for rooftop solar. Ah, so that's that's kind of the one of the nuances in this whole thing.
0: So they're weary at the sort of slippery slope that this creates for them. Whether that's right or wrong, that's a you know a, a different discussion. But the utilities themselves right. are weary or leery that once you allow other entities to sell electricity, it's going to open up even more. Is is that? Something. Right, that...
2: exactly. And what they're, they're afraid that that would, they see a slippery slope toward opening up the whole energy market in a in more of a deregulated fashion. Um, we don't believe that leasing your solar panels, it's an equipment lease. We don't believe that that's actually, um, that, that we don't see the, the Pandora's box that others are, that the utilities are seeing. I was around. going
0: to say, what does the Citizen Utility Board of Wisconsin think of all of us?
2: No, we support we support the the renewable sector in this area. We think everything should be cost based, and so there shouldn't be you know it shouldn't be um, just handouts uh, that 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 enables solar at the expense of customers who don't have solar. But so it, it's all about balance. Um, but we definitely support um, both getting this NEVI, get ac- accessing the NEVI funding for EVs, and then um, accessing the ability to people really uh, to. Um, uh, be able to uh, at their solar panels as well.
0: Hmm. We are talking right now about electric vehicle infrastructure in the state of Wisconsin and how that compares to what's happening across the country. Do you have an electric vehicle? Do you think you would have had an electric vehicle if there was more access to electric vehicle charging? Uh, do you have range anxiety? Um, would love to get your questions or thoughts. Please join the conversation Give us a call at area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. We have Mary Jo ready to answer the phone. Jay, our engineer, is here. Jade, our producer, is here. We've got all the great people. So just give us a call. We'd love to hear from you at area code 608 256 two zero zero one extension nine. And as always, you can join us live on the air, or you can also pass a message on to us here in the studio. Um, any way you want to contribute to the conversation, we'd love to have you one more time. Area code six Oh eight two five six two zero zero one extension nine. So I want to circle back to the legislation here in Wisconsin, Remind us what the status is. It has passed the state Senate, as you were just talking about, uh, 30 to 3, which is a pretty impressive um, vote number, definitely bipartisan. And so what happens next?
1: What happens next is that it is waiting to get scheduled in the assembly. They've got a couple of voting days left in this session. um, So we are just waiting for it to get on the calendar. (laughs) And hopefully pass there. And then
0: and then we can qualify by changing this policy that allows private entities to sell electricity we then meet the requirements to get the federal funding through nevi to set up this infrastructure is that the plan exactly yep that's kind of our last step so do we have an idea of okay let's say that happens we look forward a month from now Um, hopefully this is successful it has bipartisan support um, in this state assembly as well Um, so hopefully this moves forward signed into law we have the money in our lovely Wisconsin hands now what who what is do we have an idea of what the plan is from Wisconsin DOT to uh, create and create this infrastructure where and how and all of those fun details Tom, do yes. you have an idea? Oh,
2: Emma might have more information on that. I know the DOT is ready to go with the plan.
0: Okay, That's, and Tom, uh, we're getting a little feedback on your on your end, so oh, maybe yeah. we'll, we'll try and figure that out. Um, Emma, yes, take it
1: away. Absolutely. So, DOT is already ready to go. Um, They've actually been working on a process for a couple of years now to make sure that the process is moving. So, there was a great stakeholder engagement process to kind of see, you know, where should these charging stations go, what should be designated as what we call an alternative fuel corridor. Um, So that was a few years ago. And then actually just at the beginning of this month, they released a request for proposals for the plan. So we have the corridors outlined and they are actively taking applications and educating people on um, this program for businesses that are interested in putting in charging stations. So they are proceeding as normal, you know, knowing that this should be passed. Um, They did not want to wait and hold up the process for too, too long, um, you know, and risk us deploying charging stations later than other states. So they are full steam ahead. And what has sort of been the response um,
0: from communities throughout Wisconsin? Cities um, of, you know, various sizes, but also uh, smaller towns and villages and uh, more rural communities and some suburban communities. Are they excited to have
1: infrastructure near them or is it more neutral? I think it depends on, you know, how much people know about it. I do some, uh, you know, outreach in communities. I was at a renewable energy fair this summer and brought a map of where these charging stations would be. Uh, and a lot of people's first question was, what's NEVI, which is totally fair. right? <laughs> and so I think a lot of people just don't know that it's coming and they probably won't know unless they're super, you know, looped into EV issues until it gets put in the ground. Um, So I think people, once they know, are excited. Um, And something I love to talk about as well is that you know, if you are driving up north and stop at a gas station for five minutes, you might not even stop into your quick trip and get a donut or a cup of coffee. Um, so there's not a whole lot of business impact on that besides just purchasing the gas. But if you are going to be, uh, you know, driving up north and you're stopping at a charging station, maybe that's located near a downtown main street, um, you could. Go walk around. If it's in the summer, maybe grab some ice cream, grab some lunch. I actually just read an article this morning that there was a charging station announced in Tennessee that's going to be in the parking lot of a Waffle House. So, you know, you might go and have breakfast while you're charging. And so there really is a business impact for this, which could be really exciting for small communities that are looking to revitalize downtowns or anything like that.
0: I mean, I think that's so great and, and a conversation I so appreciate that you're having because people aren't thinking about that. When we took um our electric car to chicago and back uh we stopped on the way home to charge it and we did go shopping it was in the parking lot of target not quite the same as a local community and other things that's where the charging station was so yes I spent a half an hour shopping in Target, of course bought things I do not need, had no reason to go to Target, and yet there I was wandering around and spent money at Target. I feel like I'm an advertisement for them right now. <laughs> I've said the name so many times. But I mean, that is factually what we did. We had 20 minutes and we walked around for 20 minutes. There's no reason that shouldn't be at a local coffee shop or so many other places Um if if only the charging station was in a different location. Tom, have you been having conversations like this uh, around the state, or hearing about conversations in in uh, more suburban and rural communities to help them understand um, or think about? I don't think I'm sure they understand. Maybe they just haven't thought about it yet. Think about the impact that a charging station near them could have.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. I think you you have to. Um think about the fact that it might take a little bit longer to fill up the fill fill up than it does maybe at a gas station so do you do you want it to just be a a short stop to a convenience store do you want to actually you know let's let's plan this out so that it's actually located near something where you you will are going to want to spend some time whether that's a supermarket as as is the case for some of the public stations in madison or the um or uh, or at a shopping mall um, I live near bayshore mall in Glendale which has both a EV stations EV chargers right outside the cold store but also a Tesla stations in one of their Tesla chargers right uh, in one of their parking lots so it just it just makes sense to to kind of be a little bit more proactive in thinking about how to deploy these and there's even consideration of um, of our state DNR and whether to whether to have charging stations, you know, at at state parks where, where which are, you know, you get a, another tourism benefit for people who do have EVs and they, they finally make it to their, they, maybe they can make to, make it to their destination and enjoy the state park and charge up at the same time, as long as you know, as long as if it if it all worked out.
0: I mean, yeah, absolutely. I would love to also stop somewhere and go for a 15 minute hike through through a great. Um, you know, natural resource area, if that's an option too. So, okay, this is great. Wisconsin is on the path to receiving the money, on the path to having conversations and a plan of where the infrastructure is going to be. What else? What else does Wisconsin need to start thinking about beyond just the infrastructure of electric charging stations?
2: I mean, I think when you're talking about the planning of the, of our utility grid um, and our distribution grid, I think that's that's something that you have to figure out. I think utilities have to get more detailed and more and even more analytical than they've already been about thinking ahead five years because the energy world is transitioning so rapidly. Um, if if where if you're going to have a neighbor, even a neighborhood with an old substation. Um, at, is that how many upgrades are going to be needed if you have a lot of EVs on EV load, EV load, if you will, in that area? And so I think uh, utilities are doing this already, um, but but I think we need need to have more 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 detailed planning and mm. more um, and more transparency about how that planning process process is uh, unfolding going forward.
0: We need to make sure we have capacity for this. Absolutely. Um, Emma, I know you were going to add into this too.
1: Yeah, I was just going to add, um, medium and heavy duty and fleet applications. I think a lot of times when we're talking about electric vehicles, it's, you know, my, you know, someone's Tesla or something like that. But I think where we can start to see a lot of benefits in terms of reducing our dependence on oil, uh, you know, consumer savings for business or, uh, uh, energy savings for businesses, things like that, um, Medium and heavy duty is really important. We see a really small sector of vehicles that are, you know, our class eight big rig trucks um, putting out a lot of pollution that are affecting communities near highways and things like that. So I think it's really important to start looking ahead, not just at, you know, someone's Hyundai Ioniq, but also what about the business down the road that has a massive fleet? How can we prepare the grid for them? Um, I think utilities can do great work using something called a time of use rate. So it's essentially incentivizing businesses or customers to charge at night um, when demand is lower. So there's kind of less fluctuation. Fluctuation and peak times and demands maybe first thing in the morning or at 5 p.m. when everyone gets home and starts cooking dinner. We don't want to overload the grid at that point. Um, But if we can tell a business, we will give you half the cost of electricity or something like that um, to charge overnight. That's going to be a much better opportunity. And it's a great way to think long term about the stability of the grid.
0: How about municipalities? Is that part of it when you say medium and heavy duty? Is that what you're thinking sort of like fleets and and buses and
1: other things like that? Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, garbage trucks are a great example of Mm. vehicles with very, very defined routes. They're not, you know, maybe going up to Eau Claire one day, they have a route around your municipality that they will do every day, come back and charge overnight and be ready to go the next day. So that's an excellent example. Um, Transit buses as well, they're going to be, you know, doing the same exact route every day and coming back to a depot every single evening. So that's an awesome Electrification application. I want to. And
2: Madison's already moving forward with that, um, with electric vehicle, yeah. electric buses.
0: That's part of the the BRT, yes. That those vehicles are going to be electric, and even beyond the BRT, I believe, yes.
2: They're getting some in their fleet. I'm. I haven't. I don't know all the details, but I know they've been and working with MG&E on on you know enable collaborating to to procure even more electric buses.
0: But it's sort of exciting that that's happening. Um, I want to remind everyone, we are talking about electric vehicles. Um, If you want to join the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. And we have two fabulous guests joining us today. We have Emma Hines. She's policy manager with Electrification Coalition. And Tom Content is the executive director of the Citizen Utility Board of Wisconsin. If you own an electric vehicle or have thought of owning an electric vehicle, we would love to hear from you. Area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Um, Tom, you wanted to tell us a little bit about MG&E's Charge at Home program. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, because Emma brought up time of use rates and those kinds of rates um, are benefit customers who can shift their energy use toward uh, different times of the day. So uh, generally that used to be like Washing it when you wash your dishes or your clothes, but it's even more important for EVs because of how big they are. And um, and so, on the one hand, we're the watchdog of the utilities, and you know we're 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 here to stop them when they have bad proposals. But on the other hand, we we're supporting them when they have good proposals. And we what we really like is MG&E has a charge at home program, under which they actually provide the charger. And you you pay a fee, but you also get an incentive back if you let them manage your charging. So in other words, they're the, they if they manage the charging, they're they're making sure that those EVs are charging um, when there's uh, when at night when the power prices in the wholesale market are low, and so that benefits all customers that way because you 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 see, you see the EVs are charging when 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 prices are low and it's um, it, everyone can benefit. And this is having, having this kind of initiative, um, you know, DIYers may want to do their own thing, but, but I think having something like this uh, can make sense, especially as the number of UVs proliferate uh, down the road.
0: That's just great to know the different options that we have. That's great. Um, so I want to now transition back to conversation sort of big picture. What happens next? What are we seeing Emma, especially the work that um, you and um, Electrification Coalition doing nationally, are you seeing policymakers and sort of industries unite? Or is there still some pushback, right, from oil and gas industry, from auto industry? Um, I'll, I'm trying to get an idea of big picture. What's the feel for electronic um, electric vehicles uh, nationally?
1: It's, a, it's an interesting question. I think we're seeing some increased politi- politicization. Let's see if I can say that word correctly today. Um, you know, nationally, I think it kind of gets caught up in the quote unquote culture wars of, I think a lot of folks feel like EVs are being pushed onto them. But I think it's important to kind of reframe the narrative. No one's taking your gas car. We just want to make sure that, you know, if it's the right use case for you, that you have the ability To have one we want to make sure that if someone wakes up in the morning and says i want to buy an ev for my next vehicle that is a choice that the government isn't holding them back from essentially so i think we have seen i mean massive once in a generation investments from the bipartisan infrastructure law and the inflation reduction act um and that can be the national ev infrastructure program like we've been talking about there's also consumer finance tax credits from the federal level which i think really signals from the government that they want to make this approachable and accessible for all Americans. There's right now a $7,500 tax credit for new EVs. Um, and there's, you know, of course, some uh, specifications of where it's built or things like that. They want to make sure that we're focusing on the American domestic supply chain, and we're bringing jobs and auto manufacturing home to the US. Um, but that's a really great opportunity. There's also a $4,000 used EV tax credit. So you don't have to buy a brand new Tesla with a huge sticker price on it. Um, So that's really great. And then also from the state level, you know, we're seeing those kinds of incentives from other states as well. Colorado has an EV tax credit, and this is actually exciting. I'm glad we got to mention it today, but um, Minnesota just launched their state EV tax credit program today. So they are, um, I want to make sure I get these numbers right, but they have a twenty five dollars tax credit that is stackable with the federal one so you'd be able to use both that's not an either or situation or a six hundred dollar tax credit for used vehicles so putting those together if you're buying a brand new ev you could get ten thousand dollars off or forty six hundred dollars off for a used vehicle which is really really exciting that's
0: really that's a lot of money that's really impressive (laughs) um
1: that's exciting to
0: hear that update. And we have a couple callers that want to join us. Matthew's on the line and he wanted to talk about comparing, uh, Madison to another city. What are you thinking, Matthew?
2: Uh, well, I just wanted to say that I was in Missoula, Montana. Okay. Uh, almost two years ago and they actually have all electric buses and they're all free. And, uh, just being there, it's, it's a city that has much less money than uh, Madison. Um, you now, Madison has, you know, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but it just thought that it's weird that uh, maybe other places might be way more ahead of us.
0: Well, I mean, I think that's inspiring. Thank you, Matthew, for sort of sharing that. That's exciting to hear about the all electric buses and that Madison is working its way towards that. But, you know, I, of course, who knows what Missoula's city budget is and why they decided to spend money on one thing versus another. But the idea that if you have electric vehicles, you save money in the long run because electricity is cheaper, more affordable than gas. Maybe that can lead to, you know, lower fees or, uh, Less, less charges or right free buses. Are you seeing things like that, Emma, where really the communities are, are changing the way they think about the use of electric vehicles?
1: Absolutely. Um, I think cities are definitely starting to recognize the benefits of EVs. Um, we have seen a lot of federal funding. I feel like that's all I'm mentioning, but there is so much funding coming into the space. Um, there's a program called No grant programs. And so that is helping pay for replacement buses to cleaner fuels. Um, And also something important that most folks don't think about is just the price stability of oil versus electricity. Um, If your rate is increasing, that's a very well-planned, well-noticed endeavor. So you know when your costs are going to be going up. But the oil market is much more, uh, it fluctuates much more often. I mean, and we've seen even here in Wisconsin, across the country, uh, last summer when uh, Ukraine was invaded by Russia, we saw gas prices go up immensely. Yeah. So people who were paying $3 a gallon were suddenly paying 6 And so for a city like Madison, you're going to be paying so much money in fuel you costs. You have to keep money in reserves. Buses. Yeah. Exactly. you really don't know or have any control over how much money you're going to be paying in fuel. Electricity, it is much more stable, and you'll be able to plan for that and ultimately save a lot of money.
0: So I had a question, um, which was, help me understand, um, of all the benefits for electronic vehicles that it it, fiscally, it's cheaper than a gas vehicle. Environmentally, it's better for the environment than, uh, using gas, but part of the, um, explanation and and advocacy from um, Electrification Coalition is talking about the national security impact. Can you just touch on that really quickly, Emma, on how there is a national security impact by having electric versus gas vehicles?
1: Absolutely. It gets a lot bigger than just kind of what you're filling your tank with. It's really looking at all of the impacts on our federal government and our foreign policy of what we're doing to make sure we have access to oil. You know, there's uh, a very the oil community is a very close hold community. And so we're just looking at what are the policy risks of having to always um, make amends or, you know, how does that affect our foreign policy in order to be able to Mm -hmm. continue to secure our oil source? Electricity can be much more stably produced domestically. So that can be, you know, homegrown, we will always get sun and so we don't have to worry about international conflicts affecting our transportation system.
0: We have a question coming in from Joseph. Um, he um, wanted to know if either of you knew the federal government choosing um, the, the United States Postal Service uh, fleet and to not go electric vehicle with those. Does anyone know sort of The history, or maybe more understanding the federal government's uh, fleets, and are they uh, electrifying them?
1: So there may be a conversation that Joseph is uh, referencing that I'm not aware of. But more generally speaking, the USPS actually has been a really great leader in the federal fleet in terms of electrification. Um, I know Oshkosh Manufacturing up in northern Wisconsin is going to be, you know, fulfilling part of that contract, and so they actually are you know, a great application and are going to be putting a lot of time and effort into electrifying those fleets. So I believe it was in the Atlanta area um, that just a couple weeks ago, they announced that there are gonna be new USPS chargers and um, electric vehicles doing their routes, which is really exciting. So I think they're a perfect example of a fleet that can totally electrify.
0: Perfect. So we have uh, just about three more minutes Tom, I wanted to really reach back out to you and and uh, think about what we in Wisconsin can do, the people that are listening to our show right now, um the war, the war community, what are things that we can do to support not just the passes of the legislation that's before the uh, state legislature right now, but um, making sure that this gets the support. Across the state, that it needs to keep growing.
2: I mean, I think I think it does start with the legislature. The the assembly is going to only be in for a few more weeks, and um, they ha- they've indicated that their their last day of voting might be February twenty second. So I think it does start with outreach to your legislators to say, you know, let's get this over the finish line. Um, and I think. I think what, as things evolve over time, we want to see how much how much the charging the private sector does come in with more of a, char, a, a more robust charging network, um, and and how much and whether the utilities need to keep playing a role in that. The way Excel is proposing um, for, for right now, they're just proposing two charging stations in rural, rural Wisconsin, but uh, if the if the private market doesn't come in. Should there be even more 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 of a presence there? and I think it's a balancing act because we don't want, uh, we don't want to turn everything over to the monopoly utilities if if, 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 there, if there is a robust private market happening, but where there isn't a robust private market happening and where there are unreliable chargers, um, maybe maybe the utilities can be part of the solution as long as uh, especially given that the, there's active PSC oversight of those utilities. Or the, the, the to actually maybe include some some reliability standards for utility-owned charging stations yeah. that don't exist for others.
0: Oh, that's fabulous! Things to sort of think about and look for in the future as we continue thinking about expanding access to electric vehicles in Wisconsin. Emma, your sort of final thoughts of what people should be thinking about.
1: Yes, um, I think also calling your legislator is super important. I think a lot of legislators, especially in rural areas, uh, don't know how interested their constituents are in all of this. And so hearing from you all will be incredibly important to say, hi, I think we should have, you know, more forward thinking policy about electric vehicles. This uh, is no longer a question of if, but when, which is Mm -hmm. really exciting. Because for a while, we were at a tipping point of, oh, maybe it'll take, maybe it won't. Right, right. But We're seeing that in the electric direction. And so, um, constitu- or you need to, you know, constituents need to reach out to their legislators. I think that'll be the most important thing. Well,
0: it's been fabulous talking with both of you. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and joining us here today. Emma Hines and Tom Content, um, thank you so much both for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening. You have been listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. I'm your host, Carousel Barrett, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks, everybody.